Y'all know I love my Bernese Mountain Dogs. These are like the apple of my eye. I love them so much. And so I want to keep them healthy. And I love that I have found a partner that helps me keep them healthy. It is Sundays. My dogs love their Sundays. What is Sundays? What you talking about? They eat a day of the week? No. Sundays is an air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. Okay, it was co-founded by Dr. Tori, who's a practicing veterinarian. Sundays contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and listen to this, 0% synthetic nutrients. I love it. Now, when you start getting into getting healthy food for your dogs, it can get really pricey. But what I love about Sundays is it's affordable. Sundays cost 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, sourcing the best all natural ingredients for your pup. And let me tell you something, Hawk will eat anything. Rome is a very picky eater and he loves his Sundays. So we have worked out a special deal for our dog loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash human hope. Like I need all y'all to go to that website right now or use code human hope at checkout. That is S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S.com forward slash human hope. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you're feeding your dog. Thursday, April 27, 2023. This is episode 106 of the Human Hope Podcast. I got one question. What you gonna do when the hope comes for you? Hey! What y'all think? I almost got it down. It's still missing something. It's still missing something. But, I mean, I feel like it... I feel like it flows. What you gonna do when the hope comes for you? Are there any true rappers out there? Any true rappers? Uh, uh. I mean, like, as I'm hearing the music, right? Like, I know I'm not a true rapper because the cadence doesn't necessarily work perfectly. Could somebody maybe even... I mean, let's be honest. Could one of y'all write a rap to this Dr. Delight jam? You feel it? I feel it. Any of you? Somebody, anybody, Bueller? Could you write a... Could somebody write a rap... And then that way, Diego, do you listen to my podcast anymore? That way I don't have to rap when you guys can just rap over it. I mean, let's let's be honest. If there's a rapper that can write a theme song to the Human Hope podcast, then you don't have to suffer every week with me trying to drop in. Hold on. Uh, uh. Dun, dun, dun. What you gonna do when the hope comes for you? <laughs> no, it's it's over. I'm a mess. Welcome to episode 106 of the Human Hope Podcast, number four in our series of faith. Hopefully you guys have been encouraged. Um, felt like last week, last week was very uh, helpful for so many of you. And, um, you know, <laughs> I I got a lot of DMs from the conversation with my pastors, Alex and Henry, just saying, you know what, Carlos, like I actually, it gave me hope that I can find a healthy church. And I believe you can. Uh, and remember, church can look different for everybody. There's some people that do home church. There's some people that do online church. There's some people that, there's different versions of the church. The church, the church is like flexed and moved um, different ways and and shown itself in different ways over the thousands of years of its, of its existence. So it, it, it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? 
find what works for you. Uh, and and anyway, I just I'm just glad that it encouraged a lot of you. Uh, as this week's episode is going to encourage a lot of you. But before we get into this week's episode, you're you're listening to this on Thursday, April 27th, which means my daughter, Sohala Whitaker, who many of you have watched grow up on YouTube and my social media accounts. She turns 20 freaking one years old tomorrow. What? 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 I've been looking for my AARP card to come in the mail. It still hasn't come. I don't know when it comes, but 21, 21 years old. So, hey, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not. <laughs> no, she's not. She, you know what? She, she says she listens to my podcast. Like, she'll say, Dad, I, I, I love to listen to, po- to your podcast. I'm like, you do not listen to my podcast. It's okay. It's okay. It's a lot of, a lot of people... 10 years older than you and older. Now, now listen, hey, are, th- are there any people in their 20s that listen to my podcast? I don't know, maybe. Let me know if, if, if it's you. But happy birthday, Sohaila. You, you know, here's the thing. Like, I always kind of look forward to my, my kid's 21st birthday so I could, like, have a beer or a whiskey with them. But my daughter's already done that <laughs> with me. Actually, when they were in Paris, they drank. <laughs> they learned what drinking alcohol does and... That'll be it for another show. <laughs> so, oh, she's gonna listen to this. I should, I should just uh, call her out. But anyway, so we we had we had lots of drinks in Paris and Europe together because you can drink at eighteen, which you know what? I, I feel like that should be the case in America. I mean, every kid that's gonna drink is drinking anyway. You may as well uh, let them do it responsibly. Is this a hot take? Am I like hot taking already? Hot take, hot take, Carlos. I believe that that America should lower the drinking age to 18 because, you know, the kids are doing it. Why not give them the tools needed? And I feel like it's it's not a problem as much over in Europe for the conversations that I have with Europeans. I could be completely, I'm going to get so many Europeans going, no, we wish it was 21 and so many Americans going, it needs to be 25. I don't know. I just watched my daughters drink responsibly and not be 21 in Paris and learn the life skill of it. And some of you, I mean, some, some of your kids may never drink. Some of you guys may, may have never had a sip of alcohol. Good for you. H- how did I get on this? Happy birthday, Sohela. This is not a, a podcast on alcohol, which maybe we need to do one on like my favorite bourbons. You know, I was actually on a podcast. It was like a like a true crime podcast. And they they had me sip whiskey, like my favorite whiskey. What was it called? The name of the podcast. It was called like Sippy and, and I can't remember, but we, we like talked about our favorite drinks, which is kind of cool. Maybe I'll have like a whiskey maker come on here. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get into, we got two conversations left on faith and we start off with my story. Yes. Go back three episodes ago. You can hear my personal story of faith, where I have landed now and what got me here. Then we talked to Tim Whitaker, minus one T, and kind of like his journey on leaving the evangelical church and what that means for him, what his faith looks like now, uh, what he feels kind of his role is in church in America. So for those of you that are frustrated in the, with the evangelical church, and then, uh, then we had a, a conversation last week with my pastors, Alex and Henry Seeley, who are living and leading what I believe is one of the healthier evangelical churches in America, the Belonging Co. here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, I let them just lean into that. Oh, it was so good. Go back, please. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go back and listen. Oh, it's just so good. They 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 talk about the woundings that they have had from the church. They, it just was it just was good. 
And then today, today, you know, I, I, I don't even know what, if there's a theme today, besides the fact that I know that there are a lot of thinkers when it comes to faith. I know there's a, there's a lot of big thinkers and big feelers when it comes to your faith. And I feel like I have pulled in the perfect representation of who you are. This conversation was so good. My great friend, John Mark McMillan of, you know, Christian songwriting fame. Oh, he's going to hate that I even said that. You know, he's written a lot of incredible songs. Um, I've, I've had the honor of touring with John Mark when I was back uh, doing music stuff. Uh, he is way more successful at music than me because he's still doing music and I'm talking into a microphone, <laughs> not singing into one. John Mark is just, we, we've just done a lot of life together. And immediately from Jump Street, the first time I walked on a tour bus with John Mark, and you know, at this point he was, he was this was back in 2000 and gosh, 2011. You know, his, his song at that point was How He Loves. Oh, how he loves us, right? Like, he is jealous for me. I mean, I could play the song right now, but maybe, maybe I'll have somebody that's editing this podcast play like the old school version of How He Loves, just kind of underscoring this. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll be completely silent because it's not legal. I don't know. All I have to say, I know a lot of us um, were very impacted by that song, but what I was impacted more was by John Mark's mind and ability to question things and allow God to actually be bigger than maybe we all imagined. Does that make sense? He just, when he walked on that bus, I was like, this is a very smart guy. And then when we started touring, we did two tours together. We did one with Shane and Shane, the Shanes, and another one with Jeremy Camp. And that Jeremy Camp tour specifically, we would have these things called Conversations from the Red Chair, which was like the VIP ticket before. And we, it was a bunch of like worship leaders and we'd talk. And like I, John Mark would start talking and I'd look at him like, holy cow, I don't, I don't even know if I believe, if I agree with that. And then halfway through his little spill, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the new evangelist for whatever this theology is. He's just so smart, wicked smart. And I believe that his intelligence has grown his faith. You know, I think a lot of people are scared of intelligence when it comes to faith, are scared of, of being skeptical when it comes to faith, are scared of thinking hard about big things. John Mark doesn't. And so today's conversation is going to be, A, I think a lot of his fans are just going to love getting to know him a little bit better. But B, I think if you don't know who John Mark is, you're going to love him. Um, he's got an incredible, incredible story. And uh, he's just genuinely one of the kindest human beings I've ever met. This is really going to encourage so many of you. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with John Mark McMillan. Okay, Human Hope Familia, I have my friend uh, John Mark McMillan on the line. Is this the line? Can we say we're, we're on the line? Is this like, you know, telephone? There's there's a line involved at some point. Yeah, there's, there's some a line, line somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some sort of line. <laughs> uh, dude, thanks for thanks for hopping on here and, um, and talking. And we're going to get to a lot of places I want to get to in the conversation. But the first thing I want to get to is just I want to put a foundation beneath you and I and kind of rewind back to... 
honestly, I had just signed my first record deal, maybe my only record deal, if I think about it, with uh, with with Integrity Music, and my manager was like, "Hey, you're going to go out on a tour with Shane and Shane." And this guy named John Mark and his guitar player, James. And I was like, cool. And I just remember like that day, I was so nervous. I'd never been on a tour bus. I've never, I'd never done anything like that. And we ended up, I think we met, I don't know where we met, like at some hotel parking lot in downtown Nashville. But we get on this bus and so begins my journey of friendship with you where we played in high school gymnasiums. And do you remember that tour? And tell me your memories of it. Oh, yeah. I remember that tour. I I remember that's, that was my first time on a bus. Yeah. And I remember getting the lowdown about like, all right, sleep with your feet forward. Right. No number no number twos in the bathroom. <laughs> and the, the Shane the Shanes were a lot of fun too. I had no idea what to expect from them. I remember that yeah. being like looking back being like, I'm glad that was my first tour because it was it was low pressure because they're low chill guys and they're fun. Yes. I remember laughing a lot. Yeah, I remember yeah. laughing so much. I just remember that, and it, it was you know it was just because we were both doing acoustic kind of stuff, and James right. played with me, but it wasn't a lot of pressure. I just remember having a lot of fun, a lot of late night chats, a lot of fun. And actually, what what I remember was um, I remember that the Shanes, one of the Shanes, was actually always driving the bus. Like they drove, <laughs> they drove their own bus. They were actually they ran their own sound, if I remember correctly. Like one of them would like run up to a microphone, and the other one. And I was like, dude, these guys run a tight operation here, man. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. Oh, man. That was, oh, man. it was, it was, it was a good time. And so, yeah. So, you know, we start playing music together and, and then we end up on a Jeremy camp tour together Yep. where I think it was like, I can't remember what it's called, but so it was Jeremy camp. It was, it was you. And then I like borrowed your band, uh, James and John, and I, I can't remember who else, but oh, like Luke played with me on that, on that yep. tour. But that was actually the tour that I remember thinking, you know what? Like, John Mark thinks differently about some things. <laughs> I remember, I remember because before, before every show, I think it was before we would have these, it was called like conversations from the red chair. It was like this like Q and a thing with like worship pastors. And I just remember that like, like Jeremy would answer a question I would answer a question and then you would answer a question. And it was always the same question. And I just remember thinking when you would answer the question, like, Oh my God. Like, I don't know what I believe about anything anymore. Like, 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 like John Mark, the way he said that was, was like, uh, so like, it was so concrete yet. It actually opened the possibilities to all these other things. And on that tour, I just remember thinking, okay, yes, you're a songwriter. Yes, you're a, um, a performer, but you're a thinker. And I love that you're a thinker. And I love that a lot of my listeners, honestly, they're, they're thinkers, and sometimes their thinking and my own thinking has, this is a whole series of faith. I've never done a series of faith on my podcast before. It's the first time that I've done this. And so sometimes my thinking has a tendency to lead me in some really scary places in my faith. So let me start here. Have you always been a deep thinker when it comes to things of God? Or were you, you know, growing up, oh no, this is my parents' faith. This is kind of how I grew up. This is like, this is a Bible story and I just kind of believed it. Tell me a little bit about uh, the history of how you kind of grew into your faith. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I've always been kind of obsessed with God. I mean, even as a kid, I loved science. I loved anything that like talked about the things that we don't understand. I loved it. Yeah. I loved to get to the edge of that part we understand and then imagine what was on the other side. That was what I kind of did for fun as a kid. I remember being, <laughs> I was a little bit of a weird kid. I think I was a smart kid, but I was not like, even now, like I don't, I should read more, you know, but I just yeah. enjoy these sort of journeys that I would go on in my brain. Mm. You know, I don't think it's like I had more information than anyone else. I just enjoyed just yeah. taking my imagination to the limit and seeing what was on the other side. So yes. I remember being a kid and I remember back, my mom would take me to the grocery store and I remember I was too big to ride in the, you know, the little seat, <laughs> the little but seat. I was still young enough that I could sit underneath you know, this is yeah. in the 80s when like kids weren't special and you, right. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about getting <laughs> exactly. And so I would sit underneath the, the buggy, you know, that little, that little, I don't know what you call it, that little place underneath the buggy that now right, you right, put yeah. like the, the, the water or the yeah. dog food. Yeah. yeah. And I remember sitting and I remember having this thought. I remember thinking the world is so big. The world is so big that there has to be another kid somewhere right now riding underneath a cart like me at the same time. <laughs> and then I remember thinking, is the world so big that that kid is thinking about the fact that there's another kid riding <laughs> underneath yes. the cart? At the same, I remember having that thought and just thinking like, wow, the world is so big. And so I was like already like considering already. multiverse theory, like even... <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> the upside down. You're already like, yeah, alternate universe. Yes. But I just remember just, I loved those deep thoughts and I loved, mm. I loved God back then. Yeah. So much because God was like, whatever God was, God was definitely that thing on the other side of my imagination. When I pushed my imagination to the limit and I got to the ledge, mm. God was definitely on the other side of that. And I was obsessed with God, I think because of that. Also, I just, I think I was, uh, I was, I loved other people. I, my mm. oldest son is like me, and I learn a lot about me by looking at my kids. And I'm like, I okay. remember being like that. Yeah. My oldest son yeah. is obsessed with like being kind to other people and treating mm. other people with respect. But it's, it's a thing, it's just a thing that comes naturally to him. He has this, I don't know, it's one of those things, it's a combination of like hyper empathetic, but then also he's really got it into his own stuff too you know what i mean yeah. like he yeah. he's but he's very he feels big feelings and i think he's able to tap into what other people are feeling so yeah and I, so i think i was a little bit like that too I, I think i felt big feelings and i remember thinking in church i felt connected to god because i felt i thought that i felt how god felt about other people as mm. a kid. this is before i got older and had to deal with bullies and learn how to hate people <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who were mean to me you know and then i had to unlearn that but but i just i remember loving god i remember there were things i didn't like about church and christian culture but i always loved god i always loved the idea mm. of god i loved to talk to god I, yeah so i loved faith like i i had this weird relationship with faith where i loved it and then I, there's parts about it that i really hated too mm. there's things that really mm. rubbed me the wrong way i it took me a long time to put my finger on what it was that I didn't like, but yeah. I've never been able to walk away from faith completely because I'm kind of obsessed with it in a, think, yeah. a healthy way, or maybe a non-healthy way. But I'm just kind yeah. of obsessed with it, you know. You you talk about um, there were there were some things that 
that you you loved your faith, but there were some things that you put your finger on that you that you didn't love, and maybe yeah, yeah. maybe faith may be the wrong word, maybe it's culture, maybe it's you know whatever. But what what were I? And I think this is this is going to help. I think even accelerate some more people's hearts into the conversation. What were some of those things that maybe were bothering you? You know, at at whatever point in life, you don't have we don't have to just sure. talk, talk about fifteen yeah, year old yeah. John Mark. You know, um, yeah, but yeah. what what were some of those things? I think looking back, I could I couldn't say what it was when I was young. Yeah, I think some of it was, and I know you you're super familiar with this. Probably anyone who goes to church for a period of time is is leadership can use shame to motivate. Mm. And I always hated that. I always hated how I felt. You know, I didn't like yeah. the the fear aspects. It, it just always didn't it didn't sit right with me that God needed to carry a big stick to get things done. You know that that type mm. of that type of attitude and. Some of the tribalistic elements of like, so are my neighbors? Are they are are, are they cool? Like we supposed to, we love them, right? Uh, but we don't. Right, right, right. But we don't talk about them the way we talk about the people who go to church with us. It, it was like not something I learned specifically, but something I picked up is that, and even other mm. churches at times are like they're not, you know, like like someone would say, someone would say, oh well, they're Christians, but they're Catholic. You know, they're Catholic. Mm. I'd be like, right. Okay, so <laughs> I just I was like, "Oh, they're Christians, but they're not Christians." Like, like I would get that kind of thing. That that always bothered me a little bit. Yeah, you know. And I'd pick up. I would go to the Christian bookstore, and I hated the way I felt at the Christian bookstore. Yeah, and I think it was because yeah. everyone should have access to this thing. Wow, everyone should have access to, to, to this thing we call faith or we call God or we call good religion. And, uh, and it felt when I walked through the door, like people were looking at me like, should you be here? Do you belong oh. here? I don't know. And I felt like I didn't belong there. There was something about it that felt like either one, I didn't belong there or they were trying to sell faith to me. And I was like, ah, did, is it yeah. okay? And that's one thing I struggled with being in the Christian music industry because it's kind of uh-huh. in and kind of not. I'm like, in the weird crevices of the whole thing, yes. right? I, I, yeah. That's one yeah, thing I always are. struggle with. It's like, I, I got to sell records. Like, I want to be the real deal, right? But I, I want to sell records. I just don't want to sell Jesus. I just also like to sing about Jesus. So am I selling mm-hmm. Jesus because I'm, you know? So I always, those are yeah. the things that I think always bothered me when Christianity became an industry. Yes. And it's like, are we... Like I get it. Like we, you gotta have money to do missions. You gotta have funds to, sure. you know. Like if you want, yeah, good staff. You, you know, you gotta, do, you gotta have money to do it. But then, at what point does it start yeah. to feel like a business? And I'm actually cool with business. It's just business bow to Jesus, or does Jesus bow to business? Right. right. You know, right. and that that gets right. fuzzy. And I admit that even in my own life. So a couple weeks ago, my wife opened the front door and she was like, oh my gosh, I've wanted one of these for so long. Is this a podcast sponsor? That wasn't exactly what she sounded like, but she was so excited that we had an air doctor at our front door. Listen up. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, breathing around 30,000 gallons of air a day. Did you even know that you breathe gallons of air? According to the FPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air and in some cases, it could be 100 times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths 
around the world. Now, listen, we've just started plugging our Air Doctor in about two weeks ago, and I've been loving it. I walk by it and I'm like, I'm breathing some healthy air. <laughs> and they give us the solution, okay? Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Okay, they've got their Ultra H-E-P-A HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. Listen, that's little. They also feature Whisper Jet fans, 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. You guys are going to love these Air Doctors. So listen, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code HUMANHOPE. Depending on the model, you'll receive up to 40% off or up to $300 off. Lock in that special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com, airdoctorpro.com, and use promo code HUMANHOPE. You know, it it gets fuzzy, but gosh, I, I love where this is going because I feel like there's a lot of people that are in the fuzz right now. And I think we can get so dogmatic in it's got to be this way. Missions and music and church and ministry has to be run. This way. It's, everything's got to be free. You got to give everything away. You're either dogmatic that way or you can get dogmatic the other way where it's like, no, like it's got to be, you know, I guess maybe continue in that thought. Sure, and sure. how do you handle those thoughts even now, right? So, okay, yeah. so it's like, say, you know, I'm, you're always writing music. It's like, okay, another record's coming out. Like, you you got to pay producers. You got to sell the music. People have to know to buy it, you know? And it's, it, I know that there's a rub. Like, continue to help us with that rub. Is that just a rub that's always going to be there and we're never going to be th- this way or that? Or is there a way to that you found that you can handle that? Man, that's a big conversation because th- these days it's yeah. even more complex because, well, one, the positive thing is is music is not a thing you sell so much anymore. So it's sort right, of more, there is another aspect to it. Now it's sort of morphed into like, I've got to be an influencer, which I love influencers. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm occasionally influential on the socials, but there's the, then there's the temptation that it's like, because I'm not selling anything anymore, but I need the attention so that people will stream the music. So I'm, I'm out there selling wow. myself. And that's not bad either, but I think for me, I have to. It's uh, I have to check my heart. Like it's that sounds so cliche, but it's like when I start to feel gross, I just got to stop and ask myself, why do I feel gross? What is what is my motivation for this here? Am I treating people the way I would want to be treated? You know, I also try and be a generous person. I try and tip good when I go to the restaurant, especially if we're doing good financially, just because. You know, I want to be a generous person, and yeah. so I and so I want to, I want to sort of say, well, generous people like my music. What would generous people want to do? You know, and and I think that I yep. each in, in each scenario, I'll try and have a conversation. And part of it is I think I can't get going so fast that I don't allow myself the chance to 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 kind of feel what's going on, right? Mm. And that, I guess the other thing too. Okay, this stage of the game, because I think when you're yeah. when you're young, there are there are positives and like. There are positives to being a young artist and there are positives to being an older artist. And one of the positives yeah. to being an older artist is you can look back and see motivations that when you're in it, you couldn't fully understand. And so it's not that I was a, 
more selfish person than when I was young, but I was a lot less aware. And maybe I was more selfish, but I realized mm. when I was young, I thought I was doing things for other people and I was really doing it for me. And that's wow. okay wow. because I didn't know and you only learn you only learn why you're doing it. There's no one to sit down and yep. teach you. And even if someone did, it would it would shut you down and say, yeah, if you, you sit down a 22-year-old, I mean, the positive about being a young artist is you have all this wild energy and you're very malleable and you can reach some creative, right. you can reach into some creative places that's a little harder when you're more set in your way. So there's wonderful things about being a young artist. But if you sat, if I sat down a 22-year-old who respected me and said, yeah, you're, this is all your ego, you need to, you need to check yourself. I, they wouldn't. Right. I don't know that that would be helpful because you they can't they they have to kind of walk that path in order to see it right like yeah it's not it's and true. so like anyway all that I guess I'm giving myself some grace but I think that when yes, please do. I was younger I did things that I thought were for other people that were really for me and one one mm. gift about being an older artist is that I can sit down and say what is is what I'm doing beneficial to other people. And how does it benefit wow. other people? And so for me, that's the question I ask when things get fuzzy. It's like, am I doing mm. it for me? And it's okay if I'm doing it for me, but am I doing it at the cost of other people? Or am I doing something that I believe is truly beneficial to other human beings yeah. and is worth what I'm asking for? You know? And so dude, yeah. That, that's hard because and I guess it gets even harder because now you have not just one thing, it's like you have the you have your social media platforms right. and you're running ads <laughs> and then you're sending out emails and then you're you're charging for concert tickets and then you're charging for merchandise and then you you have all these different pieces and and so it's like each one of them I have to I have to ask myself what is the wh how should I be doing this what is a what is the generous way to do this yes right and yes. ask myself what yes. does it look like to do this like so, I guess maybe the two principles. I should write this down because I haven't thought about it like this. This before. is good. But maybe yeah. the two principles are sustainability and generosity. Is what I'm Together. doing both sustainable and generous? Because I have so many friends in the missions who have the most yeah. wonderful hearts, and they burn out so fast because they give everything away. Yeah. They don't have money, and they come yeah. home begging for money. And we're giving them money, but they just cannot make it because what they're doing is not sustainable. So maybe that's the question. Yeah. It's like. And what I charging for my services? Is it fair? Is it generous? You know, uh -huh. we go play in a mega church, and I used to feel bad about taking the money, but it's like they have big marketing budgets. They might as well bring yeah, me in. Yeah. I have something good to say, you know. Yeah. But then you have other opportunities yeah. where you're like, I, I don't know if it feels right to charge this much to go do this based on where these people are and what they're trying to accomplish, and so and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Mm. But I guess that's what generosity, generosity and, sustainability. and sustainability. Yeah, that's write that. That needs to be a chapter in a book or something. <laughs> no, I'm writing I mean, that it down. Was, that's smart. Write that down right <laughs> now. You know, John Mark, I, um, uh, you know, I love that. You know, I thinking even just about how how people walk in their faith. You know, that's something that this is this isn't even applicable. I don't necessarily think just to like like ministries. I mean, this is sustainability and generosity is like individualized faith. Yeah. You know, like, like how can I continue to do this in, in what, you know, what I, what I tithe, like you said, yeah. or what I tip or how can I bring that? But obviously be generous and sustaining at the same time. You know, I know that there are people that are listening that I, one of the reasons why I wanted to have the conversation with you is you're a big feeler. You, you've already talked about that when you're a kid, like you're a big feeler. And a lot of people, their big feelings 
have left them in a place of questioning God's goodness. Their big feelings have left them in a place of, have you ever been in a place where, or what's the closest you've been to questioning the goodness of God? And how did you, with having those big feelings, move back to a place where God became trustworthy again, in spite of our own circumstances and situations, you know, so again, that could be, we could be talking to somebody that's, you know, has deconstructed their faith and maybe they're looking to reconstruct now. There are people that are on the beginning journey of deconstructing their faith. And they're like, I just don't know, man, my feelings, they're, they're taking me away. I feel like I'm in a big ocean and the waves are going up and down and I don't know which, which way's up, which way's down. I would love for you just to, I don't know, talk to us for a second that are, in the in the chaos of our feelings with God and everything that is happening. Yep. So I'll I'll tell you the conversations I have with myself. It's sometimes it's okay, sometimes perfect. it's hard to turn my to tell other people how they're supposed to feel. I I think that it's it's easier to tell people the conversations they have with me. But you know, even this Absolutely. year, like I might even get a little choked up. We both lost some friends yeah. in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. Like during the pandemic, like I lost a few, you know. Yeah, And as you get older, yeah. you, we were even talking about this earlier, like loss is like a part of the human experience. And so one of the beauties is it's, it's one of the greatest disappointments of Christian culture, but one of the most beautiful things that I've discovered about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't deny that pain is a part of life. And I think that's hard wow. in church culture where it's like, Jesus is going to make everything okay, you know? And I... And I think probably on a cosmic level, he is, you know, but like, yeah. but, but on an individual level, like, and, and this is the, like, um, I mean, we're just going to get like, I'm just going to get in the weeds a little bit, this you know, got, and maybe just get in the weeds. Bro. And I hope that people who aren't maybe believers will like hang with me a little bit. Cause I'm talking some yeah. church language, but so like one of the most beautiful things is like Jesus, it's not only that Jesus doesn't deny that pain is a part of life. Like Jesus actually experiences that pain himself, right? Like this is the hmm. archetype, if that's the word. Like this is the picture. When you think about Jesus and Christianity, the cross is the picture that you see, you know? And, yes. to, and to me, like it, the cross means different things to different people. But if you step back for a minute and think about what story does the cross tell, you know, yeah. it's like the cross is a story of pain, right? Is that God mm, steps yeah. into our pain. And so there's a couple of ways to look at God. And, and there have been, I've been, I've been here before and I have friends who have been here. And I think this is things you go through when things don't work out, like something seems just incredibly unjust. You know, I've had friends lose yeah. children, like the thing that you just like, I cannot figure this out. And so you can yeah. look at, so one sense you can look at God and say, I, why would God allow this to happen? I cannot figure this out. I cannot work through this. You know, and I don't really have an answer. I don't have an answer to that. But what I do have is another question. It's like, God, I can't, I can't answer why God allowed that to happen if God is real and God is good. But what I can say is that when I'm walking through those things, I need someone to help me through those things. And so God yeah. may not answer why that happened, but when I'm in like the worst places, God is walking with me through those. And so it's mm. like, I, I don't know, yeah. I, you know, like I, I, I was having this thought the other day, a friend asked me to write an article 
or put a playlist together for Good Friday. I was like, and yeah. and I write a few words. And I ended up thinking, it's like I I can only make deals with the God who heals, right? Mm. But I can have a relationship with a God who feels my wounds. Right, so wow. I can only make deals with the God who heals my wounds. But, what? Did, wait, can, hold on, stop, stop, stop. Did, did did you just write that like for this little article thing? Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, I've had that thought That's before. That's so good. But this is something oh, I yeah. walked through, and so I guess like I don't know why God lets these things happen, but what I do know is like I need some an existential story. I need an existential language. I need a. I need an existential position to walk through these things because the truth is, like, I think we trick ourselves into thinking that we're not going to have to deal with any of those things. But nobody, yeah. nobody gets out of this human situation outside yeah. of pain and suffering. There's just no. Some people have right. more than others, and you see those people and you're like. Yep. God, I hate it for them. Why do they have to keep going yeah. through this? But either way, none of us get out of this without yeah. pain and suffering. And and Jesus, number one, doesn't deny it, right? The Christian view is not a view that denies that pain and suffering exists. Right. I think the Christian perspective is that I think Jesus can help us live a life that's worthy of whatever we go through. It's like Jesus mm. can help us live a life that's worthy of whatever suffering we're in endure endearing you know and maybe even yes. repurpose some of it some of it doesn't make any sense at all but but some of us may be able to repurpose some of our suffering and if you look at the if you want to see christ as a metaphor i'm not saying just as a metaphor but if you look at christ as a metaphor what's he sure. take is his suffering and he turns around for the benefit of humankind and maybe that in itself mm. is a picture of what it means to be a person who lives a life of beauty and meaning in a world where there's no escape from suffering, ultimately yeah. no escape. I think yes. we can do stupid things that cause stupid suffering, and I think we can right. we right. can avoid that, right? Consequential suffering, Consequential suffering, yes. suffering or suffering we inflict on other people or allow to yeah. happen to other people. Like We can avoid that, and I think we should use wisdom and try to avoid that type of suffering. But but then there's just general yeah. suffering that's part of being a human. Sorry, this is so deep. Like I said, we're getting into the weeds. This is, I love, oh, no, this is <laughs> this so is, good. This is the 43-year-old version of me sitting <laughs> under the grocery cart, you know? like Yes. That- <laughs> but but I, here's what I know. I have to have a way of being in the world, right? I've got to yeah. have a way of being in the world. And Jesus offers, I think, a beautiful way to be in the world, Right. Is how am I going to be in the world? How am I going to create beauty and meaning in a world that is so full of beauty, but also full of like ugly? Yeah, gosh, it's 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 been. First of all, thank you for getting in the weeds Mm. and for getting back under the grocery cart because that was (laughs) that was that that was awesome. Uh, But also, you know, in a world that is that that is broken and and mean and all of the things. When you talk about creating uh, us being able to create beauty yeah. in the world, what one of the ways that that you do that, I would say the primary way that most people see you do that is through music, is through um, lyrics and melodies, and uh, and performing with the passion that you perform with. Uh, for for my listeners, which there's a lot that that aren't there's they're not Christians, but they believe in music. They believe in the power of music. I, I can't. I don't know one human being that doesn't believe in the power. Of music, talk to me about your relationship with with God and music, 
and how those two things can't be separated. Totally. I think that um, the music is, in, in one sense, the music I write is often um, the extension of the grocery cart kid. Like, it's my yeah. it's my insides that want out, figuring, creating a healthy yeah. outlet for those thoughts to go out into the world, right? And so for me, like, um, maybe it's because of my upbringing or my relationship to God, but but a lot of my, all of my music is somehow in the orbit of this, like, existential mm. God conversation you know i mean i write yeah. songs about my family and i write songs about my friends and those types of things but i even see those when you look at them you see the metaphors that are speaking towards sure you know and so for me like musical conversation i think the is, is, is part of it is the way i've sort of talked to god and ha, you know and it's i, I don't know why I, I remember when it started i remember um I, I was engaged to this girl i was very young and it didn't work out and my world fell apart and my buddy, um, yeah. a good friend of mine, had a house. His grandmother was moving into assisted living, and she said we could move into her, her house. We would take care of it, keep it up. So I had kind of rent-free house, but my car, yeah. but my car was broken, and I didn't have a job, and I was super depressed. And I remember staying up late, and I wrote songs before this. I remember staying up late, and I was uh -huh. bored, and I was sad. I was deeply sad. I'm a, the big feeler too, so I think it, there's a point. You know when yeah. like you go through especially that type of thing, you know, like yep. your friends were like, they're there for you. And then at a point they're like, okay, this is good. I'm, it's yeah. six months and you're still talking about this girl. <laughs> they're like, man. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not all, they're not all of them are able to sit down and be like, listen, you need to get on with your life. Like this is bad for you. Right. They're young like you are. So they're just sort of like not inviting you out. They're not showing up. <laughs> They're like, are we gonna get? Are we gonna get fun, John Mark? Are we gonna get like John Mark, who's still obsessed with this relationship that didn't work out? So I was, I was very lonely, and I sat up late and I started playing songs. And I remember late at night thinking, like, the songs I was playing were like inadequate. Not that they mm. were bad songs, but like I was like, they do nothing for me right now. Yeah. But I realized yeah. I think I was writing songs that I thought people wanted to hear which is not a bad thing to do, but in the middle of the night when it's sure. just me and God and my deep sadness, right? My like yep. bored sadness. There used to be a word for like being both bored totally. and sad, right? Bored and sad. <laughs> bored and sad. <laughs> languishing, my deep artistic languishing. languishing. We'll just call it Brad. Brad. When, you, when you were hanging out with Brad. <laughs> out with Brad. Yeah. Bored and sad. Bored and sad. Yeah. And I would, I'd write these songs and they were more just to, um, they became my way of working through what I was going through and things I had to say back huh. to God, you know? And they were, they were like, God, I thought, why is my life like it is? I didn't feel like yeah. you're supposed to let me go through this kind of stuff. You know, it shows what I had learned in church. That, like the type of thing I was going through is something everyone goes through, a heartbreak. But I had thought I was immune, like that wasn't going to happen to me. But it did, and I was right. having those conversations. So from then on, and it will, well, oddly enough, after I started writing those songs, I played a couple of those songs for my friends, and they were like, whoa. I was like, <laughs> and, I, and, and after a while, I was like, you guys didn't like the songs I was writing for. Or if you did, you're like, oh, it's cool. John Mark writes songs. You have a friend who plays, but you show up for them, and it's cool that they play. But I don't know that you put their CD on. Or I mean, back then it was CDs. Right. You know, when you're not yep. around. This is, but but then it was like I, I saw like their light turn on like, whoa, and I realized like, oh okay, people don't want me to write songs for them. What they want me is to write something that 
that I think matters, you know? Yes. And so it's like, so it sort of began for me that way, like staying up late and having that conversation with God. And then the music became that conversation. And, and the beautiful, beautiful thing about music is, I think I've, I've, I've read a little bit about the science of music. There's a lot more to learn, but I've, yeah. read, a, I've read some articles, right? There's some cool yeah. articles about like what music does, but it seems like music is sort of created to like transfer my feelings to you, to you, right? And mm. I think people would do this, you know, like when you look at the history of music and what people use music for, it's like weddings and funerals. It's like always these group events. Right. You picture a bunch of people around a fire singing. It's the way they remember people they lost. It's the way they remember stories and happy times and sad times. And But it's always a communal thing. And I think that was the beauty is like, I was singing about ways that I was struggling and even subconsciously, I wasn't always like just putting it out there, but that was the song I wrote is, and then people mm. who were going through similar things would connect to it because all of a sudden we were sort of having this conversation, yeah. right? This, this bigger conversation and music does that. You look at, you know, and I think it's fun even to look at popular music and what is common in popular music. And you realize like, this is what people are going through. I, I remember there was a season, I guess it was just after 2008, when was kind of the housing uh -huh. crisis, you know, like there's a- Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an 08. Right after that, I remember there was a bunch of songs that the, the, the song didn't resolve. It never went back to the one. Even some pretty popular songs that didn't go, <laughs> didn't go back to the one. I was like, well, that makes sense because all these people feel so unresolved. And so they're drawn to this music right. because they're having this conversation. They don't know it, but they're listening to the radio and they're not resolved and then music doesn't resolve. But I think it's- I could talk for a long time about that. Lately, I think what's really interesting is how often people talk about loving themselves in music, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, yeah. it's constant. It's that like, is a common theme. It is. It's like the, you only get on the radio, you get songs about loving yourself or songs, breakup songs about I don't need you type of songs, right? Those are kind of the, yeah. those are kind of the songs. And so it's real interesting. Wow. Culturally, we might, yeah. we're going through a moment where people are having a hard time loving themselves. Otherwise, why would those songs be so popular? But I mean, I, that, I, I hope I answered your question. Like, why is it, how yeah. does that relate to God? I think it's, it's, it's a way that sort of the, the human the hu collective yes. has, a, has a group yes. conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's why you go to church and people sing songs together. There's something about having that conversation with one another where we feel the same thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. that I answered there, your no, question directly, but for me that... There's something no. to it. You answered a couple. You answered a couple <laughs> questions that I didn't ask you, and you answered my question, which is always, which is just always your thing. I love it. Friends, I have a problem. The problem is my nose. Not not the shape of my nose, but the fact that it works too well. I can smell things a mile away, good or bad. So thank God I found a brand new candle that I love from this incredible company called Notes. Candles. Now listen, Notes has created a scent called Santel and Atlas Cedar that I burn every single day. It literally smells like I'm walking through a magical forest in New Zealand or something. I don't know why it's in New Zealand, but it smells like that. It smells so good. And here's the thing. Notes is actually solving another problem besides making my nose feel like it's in a good mood. They're solving the problem that the candle industry has that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills. So 
Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again. So you don't become part of the problem. They've got incredible scents. Some of them are oat and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rosewater. So many. So this is what I want you to do. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash Carlos. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code Carlos. Just use code Carlos when placing your order. That's code Carlos at notescandle.com slash Carlos. Okay, Human Hope Familia, listen, this is going to be a lot of fun. We got a really cool segment that we're going to stick in here. The last couple of weeks, I've introduced to the podcast Familia, a nonprofit organization called Tutapona. Now, joining me today is Carl Gady, CEO of Tutapona International. Now, look, I want to say Tutapona. I don't know, maybe Carl can help me with that. Hey, welcome, Carl. All right, listen up. Can you remind the listeners who Tutapona is? Thank you, Carlos, for having me on the podcast. It is great to be here. I would love to remind your listeners who Tutapona is. For 15 years now, we have provided quality mental health services to people affected by armed conflict. Our staff go into some of the darkest places on the planet, and we bring hope and emotional healing. We train up and equip local staff to facilitate our evidence-based mental health programs in their own language, in their own culture, with their own people. We started in Uganda in 2008 in response to a crisis as a result of a rebel group known as the LRA. We now have teams based in Uganda and in Iraq responding to the needs of Syrian refugees and Iraqis displaced by ISIS. Because we started in East Africa... The name of our organization comes from the Swahili language. Tutapona means we will be healed. And I love that it is more than our name. It is an anthem that we hear ringing out in the refugee camps where we serve. It is a bold declaration of things to come. Now, we are really blessed to live in this country. And it can be hard for some of us here in America to understand what some people face in their lives I would love for you to elaborate just a little bit and tell us some stories of the people that you serve. You're right, Carlos. It can be really difficult for us here in the U.S. to identify with what people experience around the world. It can be easy for us to feel really detached from the pain that they experience. With all the stories that we have heard, I continue to be struck by the enormity of the suffering people experience. The most common stories that we hear are about how people have witnessed the murder of loved ones, they've lost all possessions, they've witnessed the torture of loved ones, or they've experienced it themselves. As you can imagine, the most common response to these things include nightmares, flashbacks, hopelessness, despair, depression, and anxiety. In addition, many of our participants have also experienced unimaginable terror as they've been abducted by rebel groups as child soldiers or as sex slaves, and they've been forced to endure horrific evil. The rate of suicidality in the refugee camps and in the communities where we serve is extremely high. Okay, so then tell me this. Why group programming? 
right? Like mental health here in America, it seems like, well, I'm going to go to therapy. My friend's going to go to therapy. But like, does group programming really work? You're right, Carlos. So many aspects of the American culture is individualistic, including our approach to mental health. But we were created as social beings designed to live in community. And many of the cultures we work in around the world are much more community-minded than we are. Real healing does not occur in isolation, but in community. And yes, we have seen incredible results from our group programming. We've been collecting data from the very beginning of our work. We measure two things. First, we want to measure the level of symptomatology of post-traumatic stress. And we also want to measure the subjective experience of well-being. We do a screening at pre-intervention, post-intervention, and then again at three-month follow-up. To measure the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, we use the SPTSS, the Scale for Post-Traumatic Stress Symptoms for Adults, and we use the CPSS for Children. These are scales that measure the level of symptoms. And on average, we have seen an overall reduction in trauma symptoms from pre-intervention to post-intervention of 67.45% for children. And we've seen a 60.71% reduction for adults. These are dramatic results. And then in order to measure well-being, we use the WHO5 Well-Being Index, a measurement tool that was created by the World Health Organization. And here we have seen an average increase in subjective experience of well-being of 48.59% for children and a remarkable 93.62% for adults. We really are seeing remarkable results. That's amazing. So tell me this, what kinds of transformations do you see in people's lives after participating in one of Tutapona's programs? Generally, we see people having hope for the future. And when that happens, they begin setting goals for their future. They're able to get out of bed in the morning and start taking care of their children again. We see parents wanting to be better parents and love their children. We see children setting goals at school and getting better marks. Domestic violence decreases in the communities where we work. Suicidality decreases. Nightmares stop. Relationships are restored. We've had participants start their own peace-building clubs after going through our programs. They've wanted to take what they have learned and give back to their communities. Lives really do change in so many ways. Incredible. All right, so listen. Tutapona, I'm going to say it like that, turns 15 this year. And since the beginning, 60,000 people have been through one of your mental health programs. What can listeners do to get involved? You're right. 15 is an important number to Tutapona this year. It's our 15th year of operations. And as you mentioned, by the end of 2023, more than 60,000 people will have graduated from one of Tutapona's programs. Giving $15 per month for 15 months is enough to put three adults or children who have lived through armed conflict through one of Tutapona's mental health programs. That's three people. People like you, people like me, like all of us. Let's make mental health programming accessible to everyone, everywhere. In honor of Tutapona's 15th year, why not give 15? At Tutapona, we're on a mission to take mental health services to people displaced by armed conflict in some of the darkest places on the planet. We would love to have you join us. All right, Human Hope Familia, you heard from Carl 
He's just missing two more letters to make his name perfect. You've heard from him yourself. People are finding hope. And as well, we all know what this show is based on. It's hope and hope changes everything. So listen up. Giving $15 per month for 15 months is enough to put, listen to this, three adults or children who have lived through armed conflict through one of two Tapona's mental health programs. That's three people like you, like me, like all of us. So why don't you do me a solid here? Let's make mental health programming accessible to everyone, everywhere. In honor of Tutapona's 15th year of operations, why not give 15 bucks? Go to tutapona.com, give 15, or visit the link in show notes to learn more and celebrate Tutapona's 15th year of spreading hope and healing. You know, hearing, hearing you talk about that and hearing, you know, uh, I would, I'd love to maybe sneak into just some of your music for, for a minute, you know, and you know, you've written a lot of songs and you're, you've seen a lot of songs affect people in different ways and even your own heart. And I'd love for you to, you know, talk to us maybe about, give, give us a song that maybe a song story of, of a song that maybe not a lot of people know that you just love that you've written. Like, like what, what's that song that, you know, wh- that you think like, man, like give sure. us one of your favorite songs that you've written and, and tell us, tell us why you love it so much. Yeah. yeah. So one of the more recent songs is called Roaring Thunder. And okay. in some ways it's a song about my daughter, uh-huh. my daughter, and my daughter is, um, I love her personality. She sort of came into the world when she wanted to happen, right? And yeah. I'll talk about that in a second. But then she, she's been doing that her whole life. She does what she wants <laughs> to do, right? She's in charge, right? When she was little, her motto was, I do it myself. As soon as she was old enough to talk, she's like, I do it. The boys always wanted us to do stuff for them, you know? She's like, I do it myself. I do it. I do it. And even now, she's like a force, right? She's an absolute <laughs> force. But she came into the world that way, right? Like I was on this tour. I was on a. It was probably, at the time it was the biggest tour I'd ever been on. It was a, a tour with David okay. Crowder. We toured the entire United States. I mean, we played like, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. like famous venues, you know, from New York to L.A., Seattle. I mean, Crystal Ballroom in Portland, Oregon. We played uh, in the awesome. Hollywood Palladium. I mean, it was like it was just fantastic. Especially at that time, it's like everything was happening. It felt like everything was going right. Yeah. It'd been a little bit of a hard transition. We'd taken a little bit of a break. My wife had had our second child um, a couple of months prior to. Okay. I don't know the timeline exactly. That does matter, and people will question me on it when I explain. Okay, okay. What happened. <laughs> but not long before, not long before we went on tour, my wife had had our second child. She already had, we already had a three year old. And so we, we did have some help. My sister-in-law moved in. With yeah. us. We, we bought a new house, had a little bit extra room. You know, so my sister-in-law moved into the basement, and she was helping. But, you know, so we moved houses, and I was touring, and then she had the baby. So she's at home with a newborn and a three-year-old. I'm out on the, you know, just like living it up, right? Just living it up. Yeah. And uh, it was a long tour, months-long tour. I went home a couple of times, you know, on the weekends. You fly home. Yeah. You know, see the fam and then fly back out. At the end of the tour, I got this voicemail, which is weird. You know, like, I don't, do you get a voicemail from anyone who's not a telemarketer? Yeah. It's rare, right? Right. Super yeah, rare. It is rare. Never from my wife. Like, I noticed I had a voicemail <laughs> from my wife. I think this is the, I mean, this is the era of text or, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. This, you know, but of, 
And I was like, why did my wife leave me a voicemail? And I listened to the voicemail. <laughs> why does he call and let it ring? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I checked the voicemail, and in the voicemail, she's crying, uh, crying. She left me a crying voicemail. She says, call me, I have weird news. And I was like, weird news? Uh, oh, and I was what? in, sa- I was in, sa- I was in sound check, and we were at a, you know, back then, you didn't have great service everywhere, and... So, uh, right. you know, it took me a minute to like walk to a place where I had service and I was finishing up the sound check and my mind is racing. What is weird news? I'm like, there's good news and there's bad news, <laughs> but what is right. weird news? <laughs> what in the world is weird news? And like, all I could think of was like, let me see, someone's in jail. That's bad news. Someone died. That's yep. bad yeah, news. Yeah. You know, right. like we, we got some money from something. That's good news. Like, what is weird good news? news? All I could think of is like, maybe someone we knew just came out of the closet, and that's weird news because it's going to be good for some people, but not good for other people in the family. That's going to be a complicated thing to walk through. Like, I guess maybe that's weird news. I, like, I don't even then, like, that, I, don't, I don't know that that's how I would describe it, but I couldn't think of anything. The only other thing I could think of is like, weird news is like, she's been having an affair and she's leaving me. Good. So it's weird because it's, <laughs> it's hard for her to tell weird. me, but it's good for her because she's leaving. And bad news is weird because right. it's good news for her, bad news for me. But that was like, that's, <laughs> that seems like a tall order to like have an affair on me with so your at, sister at this, living at in this home. moment. Yeah, at this moment, your your definition of and your preparation of yeah, yeah, weird yeah. is good for somebody and bad for the for the exactly. other person. Exactly. That's all I can think of. <laughs> And so yeah. I, I finally called her back, and she's she's pregnant, and that's why it was weird. It was weird <gasps> news because it was weird news because it's something that we know we were very happy about, but we didn't. Right. But at the moment, we didn't know how to feel about it because I'm at the end of a tour and I'm exhausted. She's exhausted because right. I've been gone for months, and she's been with a newborn and a yeah. three year old, and you know she's already like she's already pregnant again, and. And, yeah, and so we're like, you know, weird news because not expected. Weird news because we know we're happy. We're just so exhausted, and we're a little bit yeah, and we're not in our right minds. And weird was appropriate. Weird, yeah, you know. So it was weird news, but that was my daughter, and so she came into the world when she wanted to. And what's interesting was at the end of that tour, I was like, "This is the tour where we're going to go to the next level. We'll be playing these big venues, yep. and we're going to get on the radio, and we're going to be the next big thing, and we're going to whatever." And I've already got these right. plans to go back out and tour all these markets again. And this is my ego, like, but, you yeah, know. But yeah. towards the end of that tour, we're exhausted, and my band guys, we're not getting along. We're fine. We're not, yeah, yeah. but we're not like sure. you know. We've been together, and they're annoyed it's with been me. Stuck on a bus. Stuck yeah. on a bus, yeah. and. And so I had all these big plans and my wife and I realized like it was already hard with her at home with two babies. Now she's like, there's the question we're going to have to ask, am I going to leave her home with three babies? With three. With three babies. And so a lot of our plans, a lot of my big plans for being like a superstar that next year changed. It's like they were not going to have, I literally, as I was coming back from that tour, I got an offer to fly out to San Diego and go hang out with Bono and the Edge. And um, I think oh there's some gosh. other like celebrities, like not go to a meet and greet. Like one of their friends was literally going to hang with him and was like, hey, yeah. you should come. You know, like this is like inner circle. This is not like whatever. And he's in San Diego. Right. I can't remember else. And he, sent, and, and he sent me videos while he was there. I think like, they're singing karaoke and like Donald Glover is there. Like, you oh know, and like gosh. all these people in like, yeah. they're like, hey man, like, you know, sorry you couldn't make it, you know? 
And uh, how's Roaring Thunder doing? Because yeah. uh, sorry, you couldn't make it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but I, 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 my wife, I asked my wife if I could go, and she's like, no, I didn't go. I literally didn't go. I can't right. imagine. Yeah. I, until that moment, I couldn't imagine a world where I would like not go do that. But I literally, right. I did, that's how like. That's how like broke down we were, how exhausted we were. I, I literally it. didn't do anyway. So my plans changed. But I guess here's the point of the story is that like my daughter is still the greatest. My all of my kids yeah. are the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And they're so different yeah. that they're each differently the greatest thing that yeah. ever happened to me. And it's it's and yeah. you know how it is. We're like, they're so different. And you're like, I never could have imagined you. Right, I never could have thought you up. I never way. could have figured you out. Like I couldn't have written you down in a journal. And like if a genie, yep. if someone gave me a genie bottle and wished for the greatest thing, I could not have wished for you. Like you're right. something so much yeah. beyond that. You know, you also yeah. wrecked my world, by the way. Like you also ruined everything. <laughs> but here's the point. I guess you also ruined my ability. The yeah. point of Roaring Thunder is that the biggest stories I think choose you. Like we live in a world where everyone's trying to convince you that you can curate your perfect mm. life. But like yeah. my perfect life is the life that came in and ruined what I thought the perfect life was, you know. And there have wow. been moments where I like, wow, because I got an I've got an ego too, not as much as I did, but I had an ego, and I was like, I've thought many times like I could get so much more done, I could tour more, write more songs if I didn't have kids. But at this stage of the game, I don't know what I would write about if I didn't have yeah. these people in my life because they're such wow. a part of my life now. They even the songs I write about things that aren't them, they still weigh in. Their presence in my yeah. world weighs in. I don't know how I would even write songs without them a part of it because they've become such a part of my life. But that's what yeah. Roaring Thunder is about. It's about and it can be about my wife, my kids, it can be about God. But it's sort of inspired yeah. by my daughter who like ruined my world but then made my world <laughs> something better than I could ever imagine. You know, and and, that and how is... I think Amazing. All the greatest things do that. None of the greatest things are things you like necessarily think up for yourself. Or rarely. Yes. They oh. usually kind of they usually kind of choose you, right? You're doing your yeah. thing and then they come and they they choose you. And you're like, I never thought I would have married her or I would have married him or right. I would have done this or I would have been I got you know, I've got friends that I like I never I don't know that I ever would have thought they'd be my best friends, but I've got these friends and they are. And I was like, I, I couldn't have like picked you or made uh -huh. you up like god it's just <laughs> that so that good. part of life is is the best you know and anyway that's that's what roaring thunder is about that's why i, I love, love that song yeah yeah i uh so is that song that song's out like we can listen to it yeah like, yeah it's, it's out it's a single okay i put it okay. i put out a handful of singles over the past couple of years i think they'll all be an album okay later on this year but they've just at some point yeah post COVID, it's like i just got to put stuff out <sighs> I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, do people even make albums anymore? I feel like I just all I see are freaking singles, know, man. Single, I'm like, what's single, what's single. the game now? I know. Well, oh, I just man. put an album out just before COVID. It was like my big comeback okay. record, right? And we were we were yeah. in the stu we were in the in the we were in rehearsals, and we got the call, mm. you know, that like all the wow. clubs were canceling the dates and it wasn't going to happen. And so two years, I was like, man, uh, this is 
an awesome wow. comeback. I'm home in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> so coming out of that, <laughs> I was it. like, I got to keep the energy up. So I just kept putting out music. Yeah. And that's what I've done the past two years. So I'll still do albums, but... Have you toured? Are you are you doing live shows? Are you are you out? Are yeah. you... We've had some great shows. I think after the pandemic, okay. people were so excited. They, they've been kind of the wildest shows we've ever done. I remember being yeah. scared in Atlanta. The crowd was so lit. <laughs> I was like... I was like, man... I was like, that's like a roller coaster. I want to do that again, but I need to yeah. catch my breath. <laughs> yeah, that's so good, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I uh, I just uh, this was ah, uh, this is so good for my heart, and I know it's gonna be so. It, like literally, you are the only thing I can think right now is kind of like I feel like I maybe didn't know I was holding my breath, and then after this conversation, I just took a big deep breath, uh, and I'm like, oh, that's what breathing feels like. That, that I feel like that's what you do for people, man. Uh, that's what I feel like right now. I, like I took a big breath. Man, I Thanks, hope bro. so. That's that's honestly like more than anything. I I want the things that I make these days to do that for people. You know, yeah. I want, yeah. I want like I yeah. do. I don't know how all the time, but I I feel like that's changed. That's one good thing about the pandemic. It made me think long yeah. and hard about why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I get more joy out of yeah. knowing that I can help people in a small way make meaning and. Yes. I love it. And, you know, and repurposing my yeah. weird under the grocery cart conversations for, for <laughs> use them for the good of mankind, I guess. But, man, I, yes, I appreciate you so yes. much, Carlos. Man, I really, really do. Dude, I love you, buddy. This was awesome. I love you too, man. Okay, I told you. What did I say? Thank you, John Mark, for that. And thank you for um, leaning in to the conversation. Friends, you know what is super helpful is if you go love on my friends. Go let John Mark know on Instagram or Twitter that, that you really enjoyed the conversation. When I'm on someone else's podcast and then I get mentioned by one of their listeners that they really enjoyed the podcast, it just, it, it encourages me. And we're, we're all about human hope. So how about a thousand of you, okay? We got lots of thousands of people. How about a thousand of you tweet out or Instagram out or Facebook out and tag John Mark and let him know how much you really appreciated that conversation, how much you maybe you could see yourself in that. Thank you, John Mark. I love you. We got one more week of this faith series and you for sure ain't gonna wanna miss next week. So you don't miss it. You know what you can do? Oh, hold on. Let's hit a little Dr. Light. Hey. You know what you could do? I'm gonna tell you after after the beat drops. You know what you can do when this thing is over? Uh, you can head to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, Google Podcasts, wherever, and hit subscribe. That is helpful. Listen, I say it every week, and you're like, Carlos, stop telling me. I know when your podcast comes out. No, you don't. You just listen to it when I Instagram you or when I tell you to. Hit subscribe. Hit subscribe. Thank you. Did I just, did I just like dad, was daddy Carlos coming on here? Listen, my, my little children hit subscribe. My little podcast kids hit subscribe. It's really helpful to me. If you love me, if you love uh, the words that I try to deliver, bringing hope, it would be super helpful. Also it'd be really helpful if you rate the show, drop it five stars. If you love it, drop it five stars. If you don't. And uh, with that, friends, I will see you next week on another episode of the Human Hope Podcast. Happy birthday, Sohela. I love you. Don't drink too much.